Welcome to Authors on the Air. This is Craig Manson, guest hosting today, along with Penny Manson, and here's Penny. Okay, we are so excited to be on day three of BotcherCon 2023 in San Diego, where the weather is lovely. I know you wish you were here, but we are joined today by an, a mother-daughter writing team and an English professor who specializes in short stories, starting with Hesa Christensen and Allie Christensen. This is the mother-daughter writing team. And as I was telling them before we started going live, the idea of writing a book is hard enough. The idea of writing with another person is mind-boggling. And that other person would be a family member just makes my head hurt. So I'm going to turn it right over to them and say, tell us a little bit about who you are, about how you came to be able or to find out that you could write together and the book that you've written. Okay. So my mother, Allie, has been a writer her entire life. She's wanted to write a novel since she was 10 years old. And she's in her 70s now, and it's our debut novel that just came out, Stealing John Hancock. So thrilled about that, that she's finally accomplished that lifelong dream. But prior to that, she was a corporate writer and then also a screenwriter working for film production companies. And it was when she was at that stage in her career that she talked me into joining her in the writing world. And that's how we started writing together. And when you say that to be able to write with another person that you take it to another level with a family member. But it's actually, I think, easier because you have similar mindsets, and especially a mother-daughter, where we're very closely connected. And it actually made it seamless to, to be able to write together. And a nice thing about having a writing partner as well, because as every writer knows, it's something that you're so passionate about and you just enter these fictional worlds. And to be able to do that with another person is actually a lot of fun. So so obviously you had a good relationship yes. before you attempted this. Because I can't even imagine. I've seen some mother-daughter connections. I couldn't even imagine them <laughs> attempting something like you were friends before you started. Yeah. So writing a book with a good friend, I could see that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. And we do. We laugh a lot while we're writing. And it's also nice because you always go through stages when you're writing where you feel a little blocked on something and you don't know where to go. And to actually have a partner there to pick up at those points and come in with fresh ideas is invigorating. Yeah. There's many times where we'll just say, I throw up my hands, you take it. You yeah. know, that... If you have some thoughts here, I'd like to step back for a little bit. So are you both writing? Because I, I know some writing teams who I write chapters one through three, you write chapters four through four through eight, and then we get together and look at them. Are you both at the computer at the same time? What we How do you work? Everything together. So we plot it all out. We write every scene together. So there's no section of anything we write that's either hers or mine. It's so we're on two separate computers sharing sharing a screen yeah so we're actually looking at the same thing so the voice that we hear when we're reading the book is actually a blend yes yes and it's it, and i'd say it's a very compatible blend we often write things and we'll take 
little sections separately. And when we come together to compare them, they'll be almost the same words. Yeah. But I'm so glad you brought that up about voice because when we started off together, that was one of our concerns was how you get a cohesive voice when there's more than one writer involved. And that is a big part of the reason why we made the decision to actually do everything together. Because I suppose it would be less work if we split it up and you only have to write half a book. But no, we... And we meticulously outlined where I think when you're writing with someone else, you really have to do that. You have to know exactly where you're going with everything and then and then to flesh it out. So we have a very comprehensive outline yeah. before we start. And being screenwriters first, there's a lot of collaboration in screenwriting. So that was a good starting point. So Katie, hold the door. Your screenwriters, both of you are screenwriters? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's new information. <laughs> that's more. Oh, we're going to say that. Yeah, so yeah. screenwriters and then uh, collaborators yeah. on the book. Yeah. And so now we have Stealing John Hancock, which is the yeah. debut book. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the story. Do you want to go or shall I? It's about a young man who's a bit of a bubbler, and he was a very interesting character to create. And his identity is stolen by a cyber criminal, a very experienced, high-profile cyber criminal. And he uses this young man's identity to commit the crimes of house stealing. And his idea is that then the police will be after this other person. He actually steals this entire identity and commits these crimes. And yes, the police are after this young fellow who doesn't know what's happened to his life. It is turned upside down. So he's on the run. And and he up with um, a, a enigmatic, um, quirky female hacker who is going to try to help him out of his big white jam, and and it goes and it's it, it has an international flavor. It goes actually it starts in Canada, goes to New York, and then Barbados. Cozy thriller, mystery, combination of the... I'd say it's a literary thriller. Yeah. Which is why we in this one we chose not to write it as a screenplay, but as a book, is because we really wanted to go deeper on a thematic level. And we were drawn to the idea of trying to create the ultimate identity theft story and use that to explore the nature of identity and how we each construct our own sense of self and who we really are and how you find out who you are when really bad things happen. Like when everything's stripped away, what's left and who are you? And, really? who are you? and where yeah. do you find resilience? Yeah. Because if you're faced with a very big obstacle, you have to find your strength to get out of that. So he goes through quite a, quite an arc in his character because he starts out at a very different place than where he ends up. up. And this is available now? Yes, yeah. Okay. It came out in October. Fantastic. And so I'm going to move over to Warren. Warren, before we talk about you, Professor, I, I understand uh, you're a proud dad. Yes, Talking about family members who write. Yes, I have a daughter named Emily who lives just a little bit north of Washington, D.C. lived in Maryland, and she made her first professional sale last year, a short story that was published by a magazine called All New Respect. She's a better She's 26 now. She's a better writer than I was at her age. And I don't think that's just parental bias either. Um, at, at the time, I was still working on, on trying to be a poet. And she's that she knew that fiction was what she wanted to do from the word go. So she's she's developed really well in that regard. 
it's not her day job, but um, but yeah, for most of us it isn't, including me. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's actually kind of funny in some respects. Um, I tell people I've been a writer since before I knew how to write, uh, and what I what I mean by that, for example, there is a real real tape that my parents made when I was like two years old, and my dad's talking to me, interviewing me, and all of a sudden I start I, I just say would you like to hear a song? And I sing this song about spiders and why people should like them. And there's just this dead silence for a second or two. And then my dad says, yeah, did you make that up? I said, yes. And he said, you're weird, son. And, you know, <laughs> and it hasn't really changed that much since then. I, you know, I, I have typically made a living one way or another by writing. I was a magazine editor for six years after I did my master's. And that, and then I decided to go back and get a PhD, which I did at Ball State University. And since then, I've been in Newberry, South Carolina. Once I went back to academia, I really didn't write very much for a pretty big chunk of things. But then there were, there was some major upheaval in my life. On June the twelfth, two thousand nine, my younger brother, four and a half years younger than I am, murdered our parents, and that. Yeah, that kind of blew everything up for a while. He was tried and convicted in 2013 and is now serving two life sentences without parole. And I think the city is called Wheelwright, Kentucky, but we haven't spoken in a few years, so I can't be specific about that. But as part of recovering from that, a friend of mine said, you're pretty good at writing. Why don't you start a blog? And... It was just something to do so that I wasn't constantly thinking about murders and all that. Along the way, when I, at one point when I was wearing my professor hat, in about, in about 2010, we got the famous crime and detective fiction writer Lawrence Block to come as a visiting author to the college. And Mr. Block and I actually struck up a friendship. And then in about 2015, he said, hey, I... Uh, I'm putting together a short story anthology. Do you think you might be willing to do something? And I did. And turns out it wound up being named one of the distinguished stories in Best American Mysteries, Otto Pensler's version back in 2016. And since then, I've put out a novel and about and, a, and I've had about 25 short stories published. So your day job is professor. Yes, I'm um, professor of English and creative writing at and Mary College. Short stories right now are having a a real re- renaissance. People are really getting excited about it. And I, I think it's a time thing. Yeah. You don't have a lot of time to get into a, a mystery often, but you can take a bite of a short story if it's well-written and really feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. I, I was all excited about start talking to you about short stories. So you gave us a little bit of your backstory. And so, but now I want to know, can you speak a little bit to the healing power of writing? At first, as at first, as I said, it was just a distraction. It was some, it was something to occupy my mind, so I wasn't constantly thinking about this horrible thing that had happened. And, I, and it, it was a distraction, but and, and I guess in some ways it still is because that never really goes away. I don't think. But one of the remarkable things that's come out of it is I, I, I wrote a piece some years after the murders, talking about how this stuff sticks with you. And I gave the metaphor, I said it was emotional, spiritual tinnitus. Um, when something like what happened to my family happens, it is the loudest noise you can possibly imagine. 
Now, one of the other things I do, I play drums. And if you, and yeah, I've been playing drums for 40, well, 45 years now, and I have the hearing loss to prove it. So if you've ever been to like a really loud concert or something, mm-hmm. when you come out of the room, it feels like you've got a blanket on your head and everything's muffled mm-hmm. and eventually clears up. You can hear things. This was like that, except like I said, it was the biggest noise you can imagine. And this, and it, eventually you get to where you can hear the world again, but it, it takes a while and nothing ever really sounds like it did before. And I, I wrote that just trying to explain things. And I have had several people who have been through difficulties who, who have said that they found that to be very helpful and useful for them. And I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Yeah, sure. I think writing is extremely powerful. And I actually, I've done a lot of work with kids and I've done a lot of work using storytelling in schools with kids. And teachers now are talking about this gap that we've gotten. That we were already starting to lose them because of the computers before the pandemic. Then during the pandemic, we were forced to let them use all, have this time on the web, which further disconnected them from each other. Yes, from each other. And several teachers are talking about how do we bridge them? How do we help them bridge back to caring? You can say anything about somebody from the screen. Because they're not there in front of you. You don't see them crying. You don't see the look on their face. You don't get that feeling of, oh, my gosh, I really hurt that person. And so we have to find a way to help the kids get back to touching each other and feeling for each other. And I personally think writing should be a big part of that. And as authors, we should be a big part of that. That's something we can't bridge back. And one of the things that has really pleased me in in recent years about our career, I I teach teach a lot of freshman college. But I, yeah, I teach a lot. Of, my my, my background is actually as a medievalist, but small school, you wear a lot of hats. And in, in the last couple of years, I've, I've had several students who their high school experience had been blown up by COVID. And I've had several students tell me that what they've really enjoyed about being in my classes was that it gave them a chance to find their voices and writers. And that, that means a lot. That counts for a great deal. Absolutely. Roots and wings. That's our job as grown-ups, to give kids roots and wings. Yeah. Tracy Bloom, who is one of the many uh, hostesses, our host on August on the Air, has slipped in and joined us. And just real quickly, she's been part of lots of interviews because if you're sitting in this room, you do that a bit. And she's a children's author primarily, and they've talked a lot about that on other interviews. But what we got to talk with her about yesterday was her first book, which was about her search for spirituality. And you were talking about your stories come Dream. from dreams. Yeah. And uh, can you talk about that first book? Because you didn't get to hear much about it. was the very first book I ever wrote. And it was, I didn't even intend on publishing it. It was like a healing thing for me it's on par with what we're talking about here um your mom I just lost, passed yeah my mom lost or i lost my mom to cancer and before we knew she was sick i kept dreaming about her passing and in the dreams my a big white horse would appear and i'd have the camera and i'd take a picture of the horse and the picture would develop as my grandpa so from that point forward i knew any dream that started with the horse it was grandpa i kept having all these dreams and my grandpa was coming to get my mom 
And I just thought, one, okay, is there something wrong with me? Is there, this didn't seem on par with anything I had heard about, like being normal. And so I just, just wrote about it and was like, I'll just tuck this away and not tell anybody about it. And then after she passed, I told my sisters and I was like, I feel like maybe I could have said something. Like maybe I could have, I don't know, done something. And so I really wanted to connect with wherever I felt my mom had gone and not being raised with religion. I was like, maybe it's church. Maybe I'll find this connection to God through church. So I went to a different denomination every weekend for a year. And I wrote about my experience trying to, you know, connect. And so I went through a lot of different places. I went to Buddhist temples, Hindu, the Hindu temples. And just everything just seemed so serendipitous. The whole thing was like, oh my gosh, I just came here on tour day. I get a tour of all the different statues of the Hindu temple because it was tour day. When... I got to be a part of ceremonies and meditations. And that's when you're guided, when those things happen. Yeah, yeah. So that was my first book, and I was like, oh. So the book was the whole process of one year. And the book is called? Knocking on Heaven's Doors. Well, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And I recommend the ebook because the print version is being updated. So ebook only. All righty. We are so glad you took the time to join us. It has been delightful for us to talk to you. And we hope you've had a good time. Are you having fun at BajaCon? Oh, absolutely. Always here. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. our first one, and it's amazing. I just hope it won't be your last. Oh, definitely. We've already made plans for next year. <laughs> oh, that's what we want to hear. That's what we want to hear. My original hometown. Nashville? Yeah. Okay. My big thrill is that Killer Nashville is three days before BajaCon Nashville. So I'm already thinking, okay, maybe we could find a bed and breakfast that will give us a great deal for a couple of days for those three days and maybe get some authors to come and do some workshops for us since we're all there anyway. Because the biggest cost is the airfare there. We're already there, so why not? Anyway, I look forward to seeing all of you at the conference. And and hopefully next year, nice for that.